You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. The receptionist took my name and my insurance info and gestured and said, take a seat. And so I followed the instructions. I went and took a seat and she said, we'll call you when the doctor is ready for you. And so I, I sat down and, and I looked around and I saw a few chairs down from me. There was a mom quieting her baby, feeding him. I looked across the room and there was a guy thumbing through the pages of a Time magazine. And then yet another woman was sitting there reading a newspaper and incessantly checking her watch. All of them, all of us, sitting in the room with the one assignment to wait. It's the waiting room, right? And the waiting room is not the consultation room. That's on the other side of the wall. The waiting room is not the exam room. That's down the hallway. The waiting room is not the treatment room. That's another location. Consultations, exams, and treatment all have their place. But this, this room has one purpose to wait. That's the name of the room. You don't see me in this room going to grab a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff and sitting to the guy next to me and trying to take his blood pressure. You don't see me pulling up a chair next to the woman and saying, man, what prescriptions are you taking? No, this room has one task, wait. That's the job of this room. My job is to wait, and so I do, I wait. We spend a lot of our lives in waiting rooms, don't we? On average, the the average doctor's visit, the average person waits 32 minutes to see a doctor. The average person in the course of a given year waits 13 hours on the phone on hold for customer service. The average person waits 38 hours a year in traffic, or 380 hours if you live in Michigan construction. (laughs) The average person waits three full days a year in line. Three full days a year. By the way, I think it's really, really inhumane to force people like me who have a medical need for coffee to wait in line behind people who view it as just kind of some recreational activity for fun. (laughs) Not okay, right? The truth is we spend a lot of our lives in the waiting room. And if we're honest, waiting on outcomes can take its toll, can it? Hope deferred for too long can ferment. The waiting room can take its toll, yet another cycle of waiting on chemotherapy, another round of resumes being sent out, another monthly cycle without a positive pregnancy test, 
another specialist, another mediocre first date, another month of unemployment, another year of working when you should be retired by now, another clock, alarm clock ringing on another gray Michigan Monday morning, waiting on outcomes takes its toll on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And to make matters worse, it seems like in those seasons, in those periods of waiting, you'll hear a well-meaning friend or pastor say, well, God just really wants to refine your character in this time. (laughs) Or waiting seasons are not wasted seasons. And, And those might be true statements, but they're really obnoxious when the person saying them is not waiting on the same thing you are, right? Amen? Just me? Okay, cool. Waiting on outcomes is painful, and it's inevitable in our lives, but waiting on outcomes is only one type of waiting. What if there was another type of waiting? What if there was another type of waiting that's not filled with pain, but filled with longing and promise and hope and invitation to an abundant life? You see, you, get to choose, you don't get to choose the first type of waiting. We all wait on outcomes. Those are inevitable. Those are painful. Those are hard. Those are a part of life. But the second type of waiting, we actually get to choose this type of waiting. And the question is, who would choose to wait? Who would wait by choice? I mean, billions of dollars are spent on helping us avoid waiting. Who would choose to wait by choice? Why would I choose that? Here's why. I am convinced that if we choose this second type of waiting that we're going to dig into today, it actually has the power to transform the first type of waiting in our lives. That if we actually choose the second type of waiting, it can birth in us something new, something beautiful, and something powerful. Learning to choose the second type of waiting has transformed my life, and I know, I know that I know it will transform yours if you let it. And so here's what I want to do today is I want to continue our series called Make Space, where we're tracking through this pe- with this people called the Israelites through the wilderness. And so just to catch you up on their story, if you're jumping in for the first time, they have been redeemed and released from Egypt after 400 plus years in slavery. They are a free people for the very first time in their lives, and God is building them as a new type of community, a new type of people in the wilderness. They're in a wilderness season of waiting right now. And the passage we're going to look at today is the moment when Moses begins to go up a mountain to receive what it means to be this people of God. And so Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, we're going to go through some scripture today. Is that cool? Awesome. I love it. That was pretty, I was, I expected to have to say that again. Uh, So verses 12 through 18 here. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose up with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And I love this. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel." 
Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to picture being the average Israelite in this moment. Like, there's not a lot of things that would leave me speechless. This scene would leave me with jaw dropped and like disgusting drool coming out because of how overwhelming this. Like, picture this scene for a moment. Not only in this moment and I, am I witnessing a cloud around a mountain, and we're not just talking like a little light kind of wimpy fog, we're talking like a thunderous cloud surrounding this mountain. Not only am I witnessing the glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud, the presence of God on this mountain, but I'm also witnessing this cloud become a consuming fire on the top of this mountain. I mean, this is a sight to behold And not only that, right before this instance, I had just witnessed God covenanting with his people and we all got blood sprinkled on us. It was really weird for a minute. Like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings. The only thing that's missing is a little lizard man obsessed with finding his brushes. He's pretty paranoid. But if that's not enough to convince me of God's presence in this moment, perhaps the most striking miracle of all, even beyond the cloud and the fire and the blood and all of that, the most striking miracle of all, perhaps, is that a 90-year-old man is climbing a mountain right in front of me. Right? I mean, this is a moment to behold. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this glory and all of this wonder and all of this power that I'm seeing right in front of me, what am I told to do? Wait. What a buzzkill, God. I'm just told to wait. Wait for what? Wait for how long? Like, just knowing my personality, (laughs) if this is me in this moment with God, like, I'm just going to be pacing. Like, back at, like, God, I just got to do something. I got to do something. Like, I would go crazy in this moment. And the next seven chapters of this story are spent with God just giving Moses instruction after instruction for the tabernacle. He just lays out the plans for what this new people is going to look like for seven chapters while the people of Israel wait. Forty days and forty nights. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, it's just forty days. That's not that long. But forty days without knowing it's going to be forty days is just indefinite waiting, isn't it? It's just 40 days. 40 days can feel like 40 weeks if you don't know how long you're waiting for. It's just 40 days, Israel. Is it, though? It's just 40 days until you can take the next pregnancy test. It's just 40 days until you will see even one step of progress made by the system for your foster kids. It's just 40 days until the doctor can get you in. It's just 40 days until you get the test results back. It's just 40 days until your spouse comes home from active combat deployment in Iraq. It's just 40 days, Israel. See, Israel, they're waiting on an outcome from God, and it is slow, 
and it is painful, and it is long, and it is tedious, and we know this type of waiting all too well. All of us. It's a type of waiting where you're waiting on an outcome from God, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter if it's 40 minutes or 40 days or 40 years. It's all indefinite waiting, and it hurts like hell if we're honest. And if I can, just for a moment here, speak pastorally to you. Some of you are in a season of waiting on an outcome right now. Like when I even say that, you can name it. Your brain goes right to the outcome that you are waiting on right now. And while you are waiting on the outcome, there's some stuff that's growing inside of you. Some resentment. Some bitterness. Some impatience some longing. There's something that is growing inside of you while you're waiting on an outcome. And if I can, for just a moment here, I have been a pastor long enough to have learned two things about waiting. The first one is that people say really dumb stuff to people who are waiting, don't they? (laughs) You just hear dumb stuff while you're waiting. People don't always know what to say. They don't always know how to engage those seasons with other people, especially if it's something they've never waited on themselves. But the second thing that I want to say to you is this. What if we became the type of people that just offered each other more grace in the waiting? Where we acknowledge that no matter what it is, we all are waiting on some outcome in our lives. Every single one of us. It may not be the same outcome. The person next to you may not be waiting on the same outcome that you're waiting on, but I promise you, they are waiting on something. We all wait on outcomes. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. But here's what Israel doesn't realize at Sinai. That they are only engaging in the first type of waiting, and God is wanting them to engage in the second type of waiting. Israel was waiting on outcome. Don't miss this. Israel was waiting on outcome, but God was inviting them to wait on encounter. There is a huge difference there. Israel is waiting on an outcome. They want a God who's going to take the next steps with them, who's going to lead them forward. They feel stagnant. They feel stuck. They are waiting. They are waiting on outcome. And God is saying, no, I want you to wait on encounter. You see, what happens when we find ourselves in a season of waiting on outcome, but we haven't learned how to wait on encounter? Israel's story tells us, plain as day, I want to fast forward through these seven chapters here where God just gives Moses this entire process of the tabernacle system, just all of the different information about priests and incense and setting up the tabernacle and all this stuff until you arrive to chapter 32. I want you to see what happens when Israel is simply just waiting on outcome, but they haven't learned how to wait on encounter. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! That's a weird way to say it. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So make us a god who will give us outcomes, Aaron. This is an outcome-starved people. Make us a God who will promise us and deliver us outcomes on our timeline as we desire them. They don't know how to wait on encounter. They're just waiting on outcomes. Reading on in verse 2 here. So Aaron said to them, 
Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, husbands. <laughs> Can you imagine it going well if you just start plucking the earrings out of your wife's ears for this thing? No, not at all. I was just reading that this morning and thought of that. Your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. We'll sacrifice for a God that will give us outcomes. We'll worship a God that will give us outcomes so long as he gives us outcomes, so long as he will go before us, so long as he will show us what the next step is, we will sacrifice and we will worship this God as long as he is a God of outcomes. Reading on in verse 5, it gets even, or verse 4, it gets even worse. And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. These are your gods of outcome. These are the ones who brought you out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before this golden calf. And Aaron made a proclamation, and this is a bone-chilling proclamation that he says here. And he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Church, just because your flag says Jesus on it does not mean it's of God. Just because your bumper sticker says Jesus on it does not mean it's of God. Some of us, we desire God more for what he can produce for us than for who he is in our lives. I'm reminded of this. We love, and I've said this before, we love Jeremiah 29, 11. The verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. We love that verse. What we don't love is the 70 years of waiting that surrounds that verse. What we don't love is the verse that says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Israel is waiting on outcomes from a God who desires to give them encounter. You see it here in this, in this text? Do you see it here in this passage? There is not even a space of breath between covenant making and covenant breaking. Not even a moment. And that's what it, it says as we close out this, this passage here, reading through verse 8. And they rose up early the next day, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is what Israel missed. Don't miss this. They, they were just waiting on a God who would give them outcomes. And this is so important. While Israel is waiting 40 days on a God who will give them outcomes, God is preparing them for encounter. This is what he's doing. Don't miss this. The cloud that is on the mountaintop is preparing to become the cloud that fills the tabernacle. He is giving them one of the most significant gifts that he could possibly give him, them, the gift of his presence, the gift of encounter. David says it well in, in Psalm 68. He says, Sinai is now in the sanctuary. He is preparing them. Forty days is nothing when you understand what God is preparing this people for. He's preparing them for encounter with his presence. He's preparing for his presence to dwell among them. And so, friends, there are two types of waiting. The first type is waiting on outcome. The second type is waiting on encounter. 
Let me illustrate these two for you a second here. I want to take you back to March of 2020 (laughs) because it is a universal period of waiting that we all can resonate with. March 2020, with the looming threat of a disease that we weren't ready for and we didn't know much about. We were told our kids would be back to school in three weeks, that we'd flatten the curve and life would go back to normal. And then months and months and months passed by. And we got anxious. The waiting for normal seemed like an eternity. And in the midst of this, what began to grow in us were depression and anxiety and fear and listlessness, like a roller coaster of up and downs. We could only wait. And this type of waiting, this type of waiting on outcomes, is the type of waiting where you remain walled off from other people where you distract yourself to, move, to, to make time just move even a millisecond faster. You distract yourself with, you know, eating salty snacks and binging Tiger King on Netflix and getting into all of these online political debates and fights with people and conjuring up imaginative vacation plans or anything that you can do to take your mind off the waiting. Guys, we build golden calves all the time while we're just waiting on outcomes and haven't learned how to wait on encounter. But there is a second type of waiting, another type of waiting, where you actually lean into the wait to deeply experience the presence of God. This is the waiting on encounter. This is the sort of waiting that comes with a promise attached to it, that those who wait on the Lord will experience his presence. Like There is a promise, there is a guarantee that on the other side of this wait, there is some, someone waiting for you who is so worth the wait, who is so present, who is so near, that this is the place where abundant life can happen. Guys, this is the type of waiting that we see from the disciples in Acts 1. We looked at Acts 1 last week, and and we skipped kind of over chapter 1 because I wanted to look at it more in depth today, but the disciples of Jesus actually show us what it looks like and means to wait on encounter. And so we're going to turn over to Acts 1, and we're going to look at this story a little bit more in depth today because there's a lot of parallels between this and the golden calf. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus has already been crucified, buried, and resurrected. He is at the very end of his earthly ministry. He's ready to ascend to heaven, and this is what happens. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them, his followers, his disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. wait. We're getting a hold of this. I love it. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's telling his disciples to wait on encounter, to wait on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to wait on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Disciples, go, wait in Jerusalem, wait on encounter. And what do the disciples do? They they respond and they say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What's the outcome going to be, God? Right, what's the outcome going to be? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait on encounter. Don't just wait on outcome. Wait on encounter. And so they do. Reading on in verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. <sighs> All with these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I want to ask a hard question this morning. What if the outcome never comes? We sang a few minutes ago, I believe you will do it again. What if he doesn't do it again? What if your hope and your intended outcome never comes? Is his presence enough? Is his presence enough? If you want to know whether or not you have learned how to wait on encounter, has everything to do with the answer to that question, what if the outcome never comes? Is his presence enough? There are things in my life that I believe I will never see the outcome of on this side of eternity. Ever. And the more I drink of his presence and the more I experience that in real and tangible daily ways, the more I wait on encounter, the more I am beginning to say, I'm not fully there yet. Let me just be honest. I'm, I'm a work in progress on this. The more I can with confidence begin to say, yes, his presence is enough. That waiting on encounter is worth it. That, that waiting on encounter looks like a few different things in our lives. Waiting on encounter is an everyday rhythm that says, I will not close the book until I have a word from you, God. I will not close the book in the midst of the pain. I will not close the book in the midst of the uncertainty. I will keep the book open in the midst of the anger, in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the unknown. I will not close the book until I have a word from you. That is what it means to wait on encounter. Amen. Waiting on encounter means that there are a lot of voices that want to fill my head and fill my ears that the enemy is working full-time and overtime trying to infiltrate the ears of, of God's people, the minds of God's people. He is, if he can capture your mind, he knows he's got you. And so waiting on encounter looks like filling my ears with worship. Day in and day out. When the voice of the enemy wants to come in, I will fill my ears with the sound of worship. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Filling my ears. There's a guy that I met with from our church the other day, and he had just had this, this awful day at work. I mean, this trauma-filled day of seeing something and witnessing something that nobody should ever see or witness in their lives. And the only thing that he could hear in his ears that day was the sounds of the anguish of the person's loved ones. And I said to him, I said, 
What would it look like if this week you filled your ears with the sounds of worship, that we wait on encounter? Here's another one. Waiting on encounter looks like sitting in the silence on the floor and saying, Holy Spirit, come near. Holy Spirit, come closer still. That you will not barge your way into my life. That you will not build your home in places where you are not welcome. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come closer, Lord. Come closer. I will not get up until I have drank from the well of your presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Holy Spirit, come closer and closer still. God, I want more of you. God, I'm hungry for more of you. God, I long for you like a dry and weary land where there is no water. My tongue and and my throat is parched, and God, I long for your presence. This is what waiting on encounter looks like. It's a daily rhythm. Church, hear my heart. There is nothing wrong with waiting on an outcome. All of us are waiting on outcomes. Where it's dangerous is waiting on an outcome without having learned how to wait on encounter with the presence of the living God. That's where he desires to meet you. If you're just waiting on outcome, but you haven't learned how to wait on encounter, you're just going to continue building golden calves all day long. The things that will fester in you are bitterness and hopelessness and shame and manipulation and fear and trying to grasp on and hold on to my circumstances and control the people around me and find security in things that don't offer real security. But those who wait on encounter, he is faithful to meet them in that place. He is merciful to meet them. God says about Israel to Moses, he says, they are quick to turn away from me. I just did all of this stuff for them, and they are quick to turn away from me because they are more hungry for outcome than they are for encounter with me. You know what the end result of the golden calf story is? This is just devastating. Israel takes up arms against each other, and we see the Levites going through the camp killing neighbor and brother and friend and companion, and 3,000 people are slain on that day. 3,000 people. And God's ready. He is so angry. He is ready to just wipe out the whole lot of them until a mediator named Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And guess what? God's presence on the mountain still enters the tabernacle. He still gives them encounter with his presence. But there is a true and better Moses, a mediator, an intercessor named Jesus Christ, who for the sake of you and for me was slain on a cross. And because of what he won on that cross, encounter is promised to us today. And what you see happen in Acts 1 and then into Acts 2 is that he is faithful to meet people who hunger for encounter with his presence. That his Holy Spirit is poured out. And in an incredible reversal of the golden calf, what happens? The gospel goes forward. The gospel is preached. And while 3,000 were slain at the golden calf incident, guess how many are redeemed and saved at Pentecost? 3,000. 
thousand people. Pentecost is the reversal of the golden calf. It is the invitation for us to hunger and long and wait on his presence. And his promise is that he is faithful to meet us in that place. Here's the point of both stories. God is faithful to pour out his presence on those who will wait for encounter. I can't promise any outcome to you. I can't promise how or where he will resolve your outcome. But what I can tell you, what you can take to the bank, what you can take as good as done, is that he will pour out his presence on those who long for encounter with him. I love how theologian and author A.W. Tozer says this. He says it this way. God waits to be wanted. Too bad with many of us. He waits so long so very long in vain. If you ever question whether or not the preacher believes in the message that he is preaching, let me tell you that with everything in me, I believe in this message. I believe in this word. Because four years ago, my marriage was in shambles. And, and I literally, like Sam sitting here in the front row, like we said over and over and over again, God, we will have to climb a mountain to heal this thing. God, we will have to climb a mountain to see this thing restored. God, we will have to climb a mountain for this outcome to happen the way we want it to happen. And I remember those feelings of it just feeling so overwhelming. The mountain that was in front of me the mountain that I thought I had to climb. And what God did in me in that season is he didn't invite me to climb a mountain. No, his presence came down from the mountain. And he met me. And he met Sam, my wife. And he encountered us and it wasn't a quick fix, and it wasn't a snap of the fingers. It wasn't like this instant process where the marriage was healed. We are still works in progress, but what I am witnessing is not a three-step program. It's not a self-help book. It's not anything other than the encounter of the presence of living God intersecting two broken people in a marriage. And what I see of my wife today, like, is a woman who is so filled with the Holy Spirit, who is called to walk in a spiritual authority that God has given her. A woman who longs for encounter with his presence. And as a husband, man... I am so excited to see what God is doing in her. Like, I want to be her biggest cheerleader. I'm not threatened by what God is doing in her because I, I am encountering God in the presence of God right alongside her. I'm seeing him meet her. I am seeing him encounter her. And I believe that he is going to use this woman to shake strongholds in this community. Amen. Old Brad might see that and it might scare me or intimidate me or threaten me. I'm the pastor. That's not how it's done. 
But because the Holy Spirit is meeting with me, I see what God is doing in my wife, and it makes me so excited. And I can't wait to continue to see what he does. But here's the thing, that invitation is open to every single one of us. Like when God pours out his spirit, literally it says old men and young men, female servants and male servants, men and women, girls and boys alike, his spirit is poured out and every single type of person that is willing to wait on encounter with his presence. So as we close today, I just want to ask a simple question. Are you waiting on outcome or are you waiting on encounter? Are you waiting on outcome? Nothing wrong with that. But be sure you're learning to wait on encounter. Here's, here's where I want to close today. We're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to respond and we're going to sing. But if you're here this morning and you are hungry for encounter with the presence of the living God, if you are hungry for him to pour his spirit out on you, if you are hungry to be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, my wife Sam and I, we're going to be up front here. And we're not going to be weird about it. But while we sing, we'll just be available up here to pray over you and pray with you and pray for the overwhelming Spirit of God to be poured out in your life. That's the invitation this morning. So let me offer us a prayer and then we will be up here, we'll be available, and we would love to pray over you and with you as we worship. Holy Spirit of the living God, we know that you are here that you are working, that you are active, and that you are desiring encounter with us. And Father, we just thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that you don't pour out your spirit to those who are worthy, to those who have earned it. You have already earned it for us. You pour out your spirit on those who are willing to wait for encounter. For those who are hungry for you to fill our empty cups. For those who long not just for outcome but for encounter. Father, may we be people who long for encounter with your spirit. And so Father, as we worship you this morning, that is the spirit that we lift our songs this morning. That, Lord, we are hungry for encounter with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.